Well, good morning again. My name is Terry Austria. I'm one of the team members here at Stone Creek Church. And what an exciting morning it is, one week before Christmas Eve. I can't wait till I open up all my envelopes next week. But before we jump into the Word, we want to continue in our worship by practicing generosity this morning. Every week we receive our tithes and offering, and the reason that we're so generous is because God is so generous to us. And as you can see on the screens, there's five different ways that you can give. We also have a sixth way at our giving stations located here in the sanctuary or also out in the lobby. And we also want to remind everyone about our miracle offering. We're going to be receiving offerings until the end of the year, until January or December 31st. And we just want to let everyone know as we are preparing to receive the port next year, but this has been our largest miracle offering in the history of our church. We want to praise God for everyone's generosity with that. So as we prepare to look into the Word, go ahead and turn into Luke chapter 2 on your devices or if you have your Bibles with you. And I just want to make a deal with everyone. If you help me preach this morning, then I'll get you home in time for the Illini game. But if you don't help me preach, we're not going to get home until after the Bears game is over. (laughs) So as we look into Luke chapter 2, we're going to be camping out there. I'm going to read a couple other verses first. But as Pastor Ricky has been going over the past several years, we've been looking at different fruit of the Spirit mentioned in Galatians chapter 5. Love, peace, joy, patience, kindness. And this year we're focusing on the sixth fruit, that being goodness. And as he's been using as a text to um, permeate all of our different messages in the month of December, he's been using Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. So just a little background behind this verse from Psalm 34. David is writing these words in about the year 10,060 BC as he's fleeing from King Saul who's trying to kill him. And he ends up of all places in the Philistine city of Gath, where all of a sudden King Achish sees him, spots David, and he's definitely not a fan of this future king of Israel. And because of fearing for his life, David feigns insanity. He begins to bang his head on the city gate and begins to foam at the mouth. So in those days, people who were believed to be insane, they thought that they were cursed. Now, I love King Achish's response in 1 Samuel 22. He's crazy. Why did you let him in here? Don't you think I have enough crazy people to put up with? Can you relate to that? But David at that moment thanks God for saving him. But he appeals to others. Trust in our good God. But the reason I bring up all of these is because I think it's very interesting that this Philistine city of Gath is a short 15 miles away from Bethlehem where David was born, but it's also where someone else that we know and love was born. So the title of my message today is The Good News of God's Goodness, and we'll look at Luke chapter 2, verse 8. By the way, can you see my shoes at all? 12 batteries to get these to light up. So verse 8. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior 
who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Verse 15, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they had made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. Now, I'm taking a guess today, but maybe for most of us, Christmas is the most wonderful, exciting time of the year. We think of the trees, the lights, the get-togethers, and praise God for all the Christmas cookies. But we often hear some complaints about December, especially when it comes to the Christmas season. People say that Christmas is becoming too consumeristic, or they continue to look at the pagan roots of what we celebrate during this time of the year. Or also people question the timing, saying that Jesus wasn't really born in December, but more likely in the spring, around April. But I would say this, we cannot deny the fact that at this time of the year, there just appears to be a little bit more joy than the rest of the year. For Christians, obviously, this is a time that we can celebrate the coming of our Savior. But for non-Christians, it's an exposure to Jesus. I really believe that this is a no-brainer. That this is a freebie that we get because everyone is talking about and singing about Jesus and we can get away with it. But ironically, despite the celebrations, many struggle at this time of the year with anxiety, depression, and even despair more than other times of the year. Time with family and friends doesn't always resemble those Christmas specials that we see on TV. You know, the people that are sitting there with matching sweaters, they're all holding microphones, and they're singing, um, God rest ye merry gentlemen. You know, they're, they're always looking at each other in that cheesy way, and you're like, my family doesn't match that. They're all smiling at each other. Or the conflicts that we're experiencing don't always match that happy Hallmark ending. But some of us, this is the year of a first time without a loved one over the holidays. Or it could be a bad diagnosis at the doctor. We're suffering through broken families, failed marriages, financial problems. We may have lost a job or having tr trouble with our employment. We know that life happens, and sometimes it's too much to bear. How about this? We're looking ahead to 2024, and we're looking at New Year's resolutions, but yet we look back on the year behind us, and we wonder, what have we accomplished I don't know about New Year's resolutions, the decisions I've made to advance. I've I definitely failed a lot. And some of us are thinking, who cares about 2024? I'm still dealing with 2020. <laughs> but Revelation chapter 12 talks about an intense spiritual battle that takes place around the original time of Christ's advent. It was the enemy's attempt to destroy the plan of God. And we look at the first Christmas it was in the middle of a tragic, miserable, ugly time for God's people. So what we want to look at today, a few thoughts. First of all, God's goodness comes in the darkness. Do you believe that today? God's goodness comes in the darkness. Verse 8, it says, There were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. 
Now, the people of God, the Israelites, had a greater darkness than just being there at night. This was over 1,700 years of cruelty, bondage, and injustice. And we've read about it. Under bondage of the Egyptians, the Assyrians who attacked the northern tribes of Israel, the Babylonians who attacked the southern tribes of Judah, then the Persians, the Greeks, and the most cruel of them all were the Romans. Now, the Israelites, as the people of God, they longed for a political and a military leader who was going to set them free from their chains. But they missed the point that God was going to set them free spiritually. He was going to set them free from an inner bondage. But they continued to cry out for the promise of Israel, the one who was going to liberate them from slavery, from distress, from fear, from sorrow, and from hundreds of years of suffering. As they cried out to God, I can almost imagine what it was like in God's throne room almost 2,000 years ago as the King of Kings, our Lord and Master, God, cries, looks to his son and says, enough is enough. It's time for you to become Emmanuel, which we know to God with us. We know that Jesus left eternity and entered humanity. We know that the infinite became an infant because he's a good God. And we see in John chapter 3 that God gave us his son, his one and only son. God gave us his favorite person. It wasn't a second-class angel. It wasn't Michael or Gabriel. But it's because God gave us not his good, but his best. So we know that God's goodness comes in the darkness, but God's goodness also comes in a savior. Verses 10 and 11 the angel says, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now again, there is a problem much greater than enslavement to different nations. It is that of sin. The very reason that the Israelites were enslaved by so many different nations was because of their disobedience, their rebellion, their idolatry, their immorality, their wickedness, and even their pride. But that translates to our lives. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says that all have sinned. That's all of us. We have all sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. Romans chapter 6 says that the wages of sin is death. This is referring to a second death, that being spiritual death or hell, which is the separation from God. But Romans 6.23 also tells us that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And just as all have sinned, we look back at this passage, we see that good news is for all. It's very significant to point that out, that the good news is for all. And I did a study of this. I looked it up in the Greek, that word all. You know what it means? It means all. <laughs> that this good news is for all. And the reason I point that out is because the Israelites, but also 21st century Christians, too many times we marginalize segments of our population. But God is saying this good news is for everyone. And we know there's even self-condemning individuals who would say, God can't forgive me. Well, I was thinking about this. The word God and can't never belong in the same sentence. Salvation is accessible to all. Now, this word salvation that we hear about quite often comes from the Latin word salvare, which means to save, to deliver, to salvage, 
or to protect from sickness, trouble, distress, fear, or from enemies. This word, salvation or save, appears 364 times in the Bible from Genesis 3 to Revelation 22. I think God is very serious about saving his people. And the very reason that Christ came was to rescue us, to do what we can't do. Now, in the Old Testament, we see that God gave his people 613 Old Covenant laws. And he would say to them, if you would just worship me and obey me, I will be your God and you will be my people. But yet it still wasn't enough to save them. And the kingdom within 50 years completely disintegrated and they entered into a great time of punishment. Now again, in our lives, we try to be good, don't we? We try to give money to the poor. We try to go to church regularly. We pray more. We read the Bible more. We try to cuss less. All these things that we try to do in our own strength. But none of those things save us. Which is the very reason that the Savior came to us. Because he's a good God. The goodness of God also comes to us in the unexpected. The unexpected. Verses 12 and 16. The angel says to them, This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So they came in a hurry and found their way to the feeding trough. Wow. This is the hope of all of Israel. And it's in an unexpected way. Could you imagine if the shepherds hadn't obeyed the angel? What if they just said to each other, you're like, no, you know what? Who cares about that apparition? Let's just finish our work. I'm really tired. In fact, let's just go get breakfast and have some eggs. But they hurried off to find what? Not majesty, not an army, and not a palace. But what they did find was the one fulfilling 456 messianic prophecies in a feeding trough. Now, we won't always like God's answers. And we're not always going to be satisfied with his plan or his ways or the manner in which he does things. But the focus is not on how he shows up, but that he shows up. Think of a few stories that we read through the word on the 40th day of Jesus' life. They are, he is brought to the temple by his, by his parents, Joseph and Mary. And as they're walking, Jesus cries out. And Simeon, a man who's hanging out in the temple, a man who's in his 90s, described as a righteous man, was also promised to him that he would see the Messiah before his death. And when he heard the child cry, he knew for an an instant that this was the promise of, of Israel. So he held the Christ child in his hand and began to prophesy not just over the child, but over his mother, Mary. And at first glance, we think, that's it? No miracles? No demons cast out? No feeding of the 5,000? No remarkable teaching? No transfiguration? Was Simeon's life a little bit disappointing? We don't really hear sermons about him. There's no books about him. But Simeon lived his life to see the face of his Savior. Isn't that what we should be doing? You think of the wise men. The most educated from their countries, well-respected men from their nations. They were honored. They were the best minds from their lands. 
They traveled a great distance to bear witness to the birth of this great ruler because of this star that shone brighter than the others. In fact, they were so captivated by it that they followed this star for over two years. Finally, they arrived at the location prophesied about long ago to behold the newborn king. To find what? A simple and a poor family. Do you think they were disappointed? It says in Matthew chapter 2, they were ecstatic and celebrated with unrestrained joy. Now, we might think that we're worshipers of God. But even the way that we were lifting our hands and standing here this morning, I guarantee you that we were a a little bit restrained. That we weren't running around, we weren't worshiping the God hilariously because we see different examples of how they worshiped in in the Old Testament. They ran around, they clapped, they jumped. So that is not a condemnation, but it's just a, it's a point that the, the wise men at that moment, these people who didn't worship Yahweh, all of a sudden began to celebrate in an unrestrained manner. Think about what happened at Mount Sinai or Mount Oreb. The Israelites were camped out there waiting for Moses to speak to them. He tells them that God's going to show up And sometimes God shows up in great displays of power and earthquakes and thunder and fire and explosions. But as we see in the life of Elijah, as he's camped out at the top of Mount Sinai, God appears not in the thunder or the wind, but in a gentle whisper. God will do whatever it takes to get our attention. And most of the time, I believe that God just simply wants to speak to us. And I I know the question is, well, how do I know that that's God's voice? Now, a long time ago, before we had caller ID, there were times when Pastor Grogan, our our former lead pastor, would call me, and I'd just answer hello, and he would go, hey, dude, how's it going, bro? (laughs) Do you think for an instant that I asked, who is this? But I recognized immediately who it was. And why is that? Because over the years, I've spent quite a bit of time with Pastor Grogan. Jesus told his disciples in the book of John that the sheep will know the voice of their shepherd. Now, there's four ways that we can know and confirm that it's God's word speaking to us, that he is speaking to us in our hearts, and maybe even times audibly. First of all, there's prayer. Prayer is not just talking to God. I used to define it that way, but prayer is actually a conversation with God. We talk, we pour out our hearts to him, but he also wants to speak to us. It's a moment of listening. So this is a great time for me to point out that our 21 days of prayer that we usually practice during the first month of the year, we're actually going to wait until February this year because of the different schedules for vacation and because we want our college students to join us. So the 21 days of prayer will actually be from February 4th through February 25th. But prayer, we cultivate a life of intimacy with God. Secondly, there's times of immersing ourselves in the word. This is another thing that we practice together as a congregation. The Bible reading plan, which is going to begin on January 1st, and the different verses and scriptures and passages split up through the next, it's it's 366 days next year, isn't it? Because we got a leap year. But all the passages are going to be separated between those days so that we can get enough of the word for that day. 
But we want people to be able to sign up for that so that on January 1st, we can remind you of that. So if you want to go ahead and sign up, there's a QR code in front of you. Just go ahead and scan that and sign up for it. And we will remind you on the first day of the year so that we can all be reading through the Word. Now, I know how it gets many times when we're reading through the Bible, especially through those early passages in the Old Testament, especially the first five books. Genesis Genesis and Exodus are okay until we get to certain passages talking about furniture and animals. I submit to you that Genesis is the most read book in America because we start the Bible reading plans and we start to fade off as we start to get through some of those passages in the Old Testament. But I remember dealing with one of our college students a while back, and he said, I want to read the Bible, but sometimes it's just a little bit boring to me. And I looked at him, I said, that depends on how you read the Bible, the attitude and the perspective that you have with which you read it. Are you looking at it as a bunch of rules and regulations, or are you looking at it as a love letter from our Lord? Different passages that say, I love you, and I have awesome, wonderful things for you to do in your life. I've also brought this up many times. Do we treat the Word of God like eBay? where we keep searching and searching for the thing that we want, the thing that's most convenient and maybe the cheapest? Or do we treat the Word of God like the owner's manual? You know what we do. We open up the the glove compartment, pull it out, and blow off the dust because we only reach for the owner's manual when we need it. Or do we treat the Bible like GPS? If you're directionally challenged like me, I need step-by-step-by-step instructions as I get from point A to point B. Now, we just finished finals week at the University of Illinois at Parkland College. I remember way back when, when Moses was still attending the U of I, I was taking a class called Sociology 331. I believe it was criminology. And the textbook for it, I never took this seal off the book until finals week. Uh Uh-oh. Now, I thought that simply because I knew the professor, I had a couple of classes. In fact, he ate lunch in my cafeteria, so once in a while we'd have lunch together. So I knew the author. I attended his lectures, but yet those were only one dimension of what can be learned. Someone told me, like, you better start reading that book because there's a lot of material on that exam that's going to be tested and stuff that you didn't get from the lecture. And I'm glad I did. And the lesson that's always been spoken to me throughout the years is don't wait for the final to read the book. Let's keep up with it from day-to-day situations. As we see here in this passage, in verse 10, the angels say, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. God is not going to cause chaos or calamity in our lives. When he's speaking to us, it's going to be confirmed by joy. And lastly, as the angel said, for there is peace and a good hope given. God speaks to us causing joy and peace because he's a good God. But God's goodness also comes to us in the unexplainable. The unexplainable. Verses 17 and 18 says, when they, the shepherds, had seen this, they made known the statements which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. They experienced something amazing and life-changing. They had a tangible encounter God. He came in a very, very real way. 
In that moment in the field, God appears in majestic fashion in the midst of darkness, providing comfort, encouragement, and assurance. And this is the thing about God's goodness. It triggers wonder. Now, wonder is something defined as something beautiful or unexpected that arouses awe, astonishment, amazement, unexplainable by the laws of nature. Author Thomas Hobbes says this about wonder. Whatever new things happen to a person gives them hope and knowledge of things they didn't know before. It's what pushed Mary to keep this child. It's what kept Joseph in this relationship with his pregnant fiance, Mary. It's what caused John the Baptist to leap in his mother's womb. It's what caused the 90-year-old Simeon to hold out to see the face of his Savior. It's what caused Anna, the, pro- the prophet, to prophesy and praise God when she caught wind of the, of the Messiah. It's what caused the wise men to seek after him for two years. Wonder is what caused the fishermen to leave their families and the crowds to follow him. It's what caused Jairus and the centurion to seek out healing. It's what caused Nicodemus, the Pharisee, to look after Jesus in the middle of the night to ask him what it means to be born again. It's what caused Mary to anoint Jesus with nard. It's what caused Bartimaeus to cry out on the side of the road for healing of his eyes. It's what caused Zacchaeus to climb the tree and try to get a glimpse of his Savior. It's what caused the woman with the hemorrhage for 12 years to reach out and touch the hem of his garment. Wonder is what caused Peter to walk on the water. It's what caused Lazarus to jump out of the tomb. It's what caused Stephen to remain still in front of his accusers. It's what caused Saul to leave his religion. It's what caused the apostles to lay down their lives and John to remain faithful on the island of Patmos. God wants us to experience wonder in his goodness. In the middle of political and spiritual bondage, it's what caused millions to find freedom in Christ Jesus. Here's something to point out about the Gospels. 29 times... It talks about amazement and wonder over his response to different authorities, over his lordship, over disease and sickness, over the nature and the elements, about the greatness of his godly wisdom, about the way he was able to handle the truth. There was awe over his compassion and over his love for people. The wonder that we experience is over why, while we deserve punishment, wrath, and death, we receive forgiveness, mercy, and life. Wonder attracts us, gets our attention, shakes us, and wakes us up, reminds us of his promises when we're walking through darkness. Now, we can't explain it, but we don't have to because he's omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient. He is God Almighty. Don't we know through his word that his thoughts are above ours? His ways are above ours. He's bigger than what we could conceive or perceive. He comforts when we're confused. He heals us when we're broken. He feels... He, He fills us when we're empty. He gives us sight when we're blind. He finds us when we're lost. He can when we can't. It's because he is a good God. Now, I praise God. And I've I've shared, I I praise God for what he's done in my life. And I've shared my testimony a few times over the last couple years as I've shared the word. But there's other aspects of my family's testimony that I haven't shared. And as I shared and back in August about how my dad came to a relationship with Christ, about how I prayed for him for 41 years, my brother Frank, I continued to pray for him for over two decades that he would come to know Christ. 
And as he battled through different emotional struggles and depression, eventually getting divorced, he turned to religion, started practicing the sacraments that we grew up knowing. He started practicing the different religious ways and the rituals. But on Christmas Day, December 25th, 2006, as my sister and brother were returning to Chicago, she began to talk to him about his relationship with Christ. And when they got back to her house, he got down on his knees and confessed Christ as his Savior. After 23 years of praying for him, we saw that miracle take place. Now, sitting here today, we might be thinking, man, I need a Savior. Well, what better time than during the Christmas season for us to acknowledge Christ as our Savior? And we hear about it all the time, the ABCs of salvation. First of all, we need to admit that we're sinners. All of us are sinners. It's not a matter of condemning people. We have all sinned. We've all fallen short. But B stands for believe that Christ is the only one who can forgive us. And finally, see if we would confess that he is Lord and Savior of our lives. What a good God that we serve. I just want to invite the worship team to come up as we begin to close. God's goodness also comes to us in the inevitable. Now, this is an interesting word to use when it comes to God. God's goodness comes in the inevitable. 30 years after his birth, right around 30 years, we see a grown Jesus who affirms God's goodness in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. God's spirit is on me. He's chosen me to preach the message of good news to the poor, sent me to announce pardon to prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the burdened and battered free, to announce this is God's year to act. God can't help but be good to us. It's in his nature to bless his people. You know what's interesting? We act like we have to beg God to earn his favor to be good to us. We act like we have to earn his favor. Others of us, we feel like God could never be good to us, that we're so deserving of punishment and we deserve to be destroyed. But I want us all to be reminded today that we can take God at his word. I read this passage in Isaiah chapter 30. The Lord longs to be good to us. That is his desire today, to be good to us. That he forgives us, he's patient, he's merciful, he's benevolent, he's kind. Because he didn't just come to invade the darkness, he came to conquer it. Because he's a good God. In turn today, as we prepare to leave, may we love people as God does. To step into dark places, bringing God's goodness wherever we may end up in the next couple weeks. But I want to say that Jesus, in this passage in Luke 4, means what he said literally. Because he's speaking about matters of justice and liberating the oppressed and the forgotten. But I believe it also has two meanings. First of all, promising good news or hope to the poor. Those who are experiencing spiritual poverty, shame, and defeat. People who are lacking God's goodness, who again, feel like God could never be good to them. He's also promising pardon to prisoners, those who are battling life addictions, life-controlling issues, those who need healing physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Those who are longing to hear and experience the words, you are free. 
you are healed. Those who are longing to hear those chains breaking and finally falling to the ground. Also, recovery of sight. Those who might be just a little bit blinded to the gospel, they're unable to see that God longs to be good to them. And also those who might be burdened and battered. Again, battling depression and hopelessness. Those who are beaten up and want to give up. But again, turning back to Psalm 34, the Lord tells us that he is close to the brokenhearted. Let's all stand. When I shared the word back in August, I talked about, I, shared, I testified about the situation around my dad passing away last May. And it's been very interesting the last six or seven months as I've been watching my mom as he, she was responded in grief and mourning. And it breaks my heart because I watch her. She's basically shut down. Now she's not really living life anymore. She's basically existing. She eats and then she goes to sleep. The only time I see her is during mealtime. And don't you know that in this time that I have left with my mom, I'm doing my best to be a testimony of God's goodness and his life-giving presence. And I'm believing for a miracle in her life that she is not just going to live, that she's not just going to survive, but she's going to thrive. But for all of us, again, those of us who might be experiencing spiritual poverty, or life-controlling issues, or unable to see God's goodness. Those of us who are feeling beaten up, feel like we want to give up. I want us to look ahead at 2024, claiming this last passage, that this is God's year to act. Let's lift our hands to him this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today and that you would speak deeply into our hearts. God, I don't know the condition of people as they've walked into this place, but you know more than we could ever conceive. You know every aspect of our being. You know the struggles. You know the times that we felt like giving up, the times that we feel like we've walked in darkness, feel times that there was no more hope. We just felt absolutely helpless. But we know that you are a good God who wants to dwell among us, to be the God who saves us, rescues us, protects us, restores us, and makes us whole again. And as we respond to your presence today, show us your goodness. As you did in that field so many years ago, that you would show up in a tangible, real way. Show up in your majesty. Speak deeply to every single one of us, wherever we're struggling. Prove yourself mighty, merciful, gracious, kind and good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Let's remain standing as we continue to worship today.